Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Tiffany is in Rome. I am in Seattle where we are experiencing an atmospheric river, which basically just means it's pouring and people's basements are flooding. Some people's basements are flooding. Ours, so far, holding strong. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Tiffany, you have an idea of what we should do. So what's today's topic? Well, I happen to be, I was, I just finished it, uh, reading a collection of ghost stories by Henry James. I think I started it on November 1st or something like that. And I usually read very quickly, maybe not terribly quickly, but pretty quickly. And man, (laughs) Even ghost stories, Katie, like Henry James can make even ghost stories boring. Uh, You know, you got to hand it to him. I mean, it's not that they're boring. It's I don't know how much Henry James you've read, but very little. It's dense. Like that's the word you can chew on that prose. It is so thick. And when I I started the first story that I read was The Turn of the Screw, which is, of course, I think his most famous ghost story. And I've been dying to read it for ages. And Claudio bought me the collection uh, for my birthday, but I've been saving it. I've been saving it for Halloween. And then, of course, I got stuck behind another book, so I couldn't get to it until the 1st <laughs> of November. But, you know, still pretty atmospheric time. So I just remember as I was reading The Turn of the Screw, I thought, how many clauses can you put into one sentence? <laughs> and I mean, Henry James, at least in the English language, has got to hold the record. I get to the end of the sentence I have no idea what the subject is anymore. I've completely forgotten how this sentence even started. Um, (laughs) It's the type of writing where like when you turn a page, you start reading at the top of the next page and you're like, wait a second, did I skip a page? Because I don't understand what's, (laughs) I already don't understand what's going on. And you go back and it's like, no, I didn't skip a page. I'm just lost Um, in the sentence. So that's been my, yeah, that's been my experience reading Henry James. Some of the stuff is more challenging than others. I find the later in his life, the, the more overwrought it becomes but anyways that's not the point the point is the very last story in this book is the jolly corner mm-hmm. corner story like a the jolly corn not a coroner oh, okay. a corner a corner like the corner of a building yeah. so to speak the corner of a building okay that's what it is about it's about he he owns a the house where he grew up and it's on a corner that he's always called the jolly corner anyway okay so just the briefest of outlines of this story is that a man after living 33 years in Europe has come back to New York in his 50s to sort of check on his properties because all of his family members have died and he has a couple of properties in New York he now needs to to, to look after. And one of them is this house on the Jolly Corner where he grew up. And he, talking to this sort of old friend slash girlfriend of his, she kind of makes this comment of, oh, you know, you're so great at handling these properties because he's like turning them into, you know, skyscrapers and stuff. Not skyscrapers because it's Henry James, you know, but, you know, <laughs> five story buildings, selling them out, you know, as apartments. And and she says, oh, you know, I'm, I bet if you hadn't gone away, if you had stayed in New York, you would have been an amazing businessman. And he takes this to heart and starts thinking in his imagination about what would life have been like, particularly what would he have been like if he hadn't moved abroad. And he he starts going into his apartment, his old house where no one lives and sort of wandering through it every night in the middle of the night, searching for the ghost 
of who he would have been. Mm. Very heady stuff. (laughs) Yes, very heady and written in such a way that, like, again, sometimes it's very hard to sort of follow his train of thought. And I found myself so often like rereading entire pages because I'm like, okay, wait, I totally don't understand what's happening. Let me go back. The point is that it's kind of one of those sliding doors sort of situations. And in this case, it's a ghost and he ends up finding the ghost, which is bizarre and being terrified by it and you know it being horrible and unrecognizable. And he keeps saying, it's not me, it's not me. But then he keeps saying, it is me over and over again. So it's totally unrecognizable to him, this figure of who he would have been. Mm. So it just kind of made me think about that. And I don't think there's a ghost of my alternate self out there. Um, uh, yeah. But uh, but but it is fun to think about. Yeah. And I did love Sliding Doors when I was when I saw it as a young person. And I think there's another film that's similar to that. And although it's not, I'm not remembering what it is. Uh, oh, Family Guy. I don't um, know. I mean, Sliding Doors Fam- is basically an exploration of like, if you had gone this way versus that way, what would right. have happened? So it's right? a much, it's a much more like, yeah, that I think that movie is interesting because it's a, such a minor it's not even a decision. She makes a train or she doesn't make the train. In Family Guy, it's um, you know, it's Nicolas Cage. It's does he go and take a big internship or New York or with New York or does he stay home and be with his girlfriend? Mm. So a little bit bigger life decision. And, you know, in this case, it's living thirty three years out of your home country. And as we both have lived and made the decision to live out of our home countries, at least for a period, me permanently, <laughs> so it seems, mm-hmm. although I haven't reached thirty three years yet, I thought it might be fun to think about our alternate selves yeah. and where we would be and what we would be doing right. if we hadn't moved to Rome yeah. or done anything. It doesn't have to be just moving abroad. It could be any major decision that you make. Right. Major turning points. Well, moving to Rome is a good starting point. And I mean, yeah. for me, I think it's harder for you. For me, it's a much more obvious answer, I feel. You know, like yeah. if I had not moved to Rome, what, 10 years ago now, I would most likely be still working in the same job. Not in the same job. I would have been in a different job by now. There's no question about that. But I probably would be working in the same place, meaning I'd be working in public radio. Maybe in Seattle still, maybe not. I could definitely have seen me moving to a different market because I did have a drive to like to apply to other places. But that said, I think that I would still be in that. And I don't know... I mean, that's also so hard to say because I could also see where I would have hit my limit as to what I wanted to do in that regard. So because these decisions, they trickle, you know what I mean? They're dominoes. So Mm -hmm. they make changes in all aspects of your life, even though you only think of the professional aspect. But then that professional aspect would have had repercussions on other aspects of your life in ways that you can't even imagine. Well, and it's also about who do you end up meeting because of your job and such. Like working for National Public Radio is a great place to meet a lot of different people who do a lot of different things. And because of that, you kind of end up encountering new ideas and new, a lot of different people with different approaches to life, I guess I would say. Uh, Now that I don't work in that every week day in day out i don't encounter as many people in a week as i used to it was interesting that you brought this up because i was just talking to a friend of mine who has also worked in the public radio industry for mm, i mean probably as long as i have you know if not longer to be honest and getting to that point where 
you are sort of tired of it, but you're also like far enough in your career where what do you do now? You know, and what they were saying was, I think I missed the exit ramp. You know, I think I missed the time when I could have moved on and done something else because now I'm too close to retirement. And, mm. you know, once you're in your mid 50s, you're like, am I going to go searching for another career or am I going to just ride this one out until I feel like I have enough money to retire? And their point was, even though I do have a desire to do something else, one, I don't know what. And mm. two, it feels like it's too late. It's too close to me being done completely for me to take an exit wrap now. And of course, you know me, I'm, I'm now that I have moved to Rome, maybe it's a different position, but my position has been, it's not too late. Your skills as a journalist, as a public radio person are so vast. There are so many different things that you could do. You know, if you decided that you wanted to look for something else that might be more fulfilling for the final, what, 10 something years that you have left. Uh, but, you know, I think once you've been in a job that long, not everybody sees it that way either. Starting over yeah, and also, it's also feels societal. Mm -hmm. For sure. It's also a societal thing. You know, lots of people assume, and sometimes it's true, and hopefully sometimes it's not true, that, you know, nobody wants to hire someone at this age or nobody's going to invest in someone who is already this age. And, and that's, I think, a real shame because of all the reasons you said. And also just because life is not over when, you know, just because you're past mid-age. It's just, you mm -hmm. know, there's so much, there's so, it, it can continue for so long. Like, why should you close those doors? Yeah. Um, well, and I think it becomes multiple things too. It's like some of those people are still, some of my favorite friends to go out with. And so I think there's that too. It's like, you might be kind of sick of the day-to-day -day of your job, but you also have like a long history of great friendships there, people that you like to see. And so I do think also that starting over with like an entirely new staff around you can feel a little daunting. It's sort of like one of those things, like I want to do something different, but what will happen if I do something different? What if mm -hmm. I like it less? What if it's more yeah. demanding than I feel like I'm able to handle? Or, you know, there's a thousand different questions like that. But I thought that it, at the root of it, I thought the the concept of missing the off-ramp, I thought was a really interesting uh, concept to contemplate. And I was thinking like, huh, when I moved to Rome, did I catch the off-ramp then? From like their point of view, like I caught the off-ramp at the right time. It was an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I think you did. And it's funny because in Italy, I was just thinking there in Italy, like no one wants the off ramp. <laughs> yeah, it's a different lifetime contract. the work mentality. Yeah, the work mentality is different. Like the idea is you want to have a job forever. Obviously, if you know your first shop assistant, maybe not unless it's your own shop. But if you have like an office job, like you want to keep that thing forever. And I was just thinking, and this is kind of embarrassing to say, but it's not so embarrassing as it could be because I have lots of other things that I do in my life. But, you know, my, my good old magazine job, mm -hmm. I was thinking like when you were saying that, when, when I got that job, and I mean, of course, I should say that I first took that job as a part-time person. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know at that time that I would eventually do that job full-time. And I really only wanted a part-time position because I was actively doing tours at that time. And I just remember my boss, who's, who still is my boss technically, although now I work part-time again, very, very happily. Um <laughs> He said to me, you know, this is a great, and I was still young enough, I suppose, 
to want a stepping stone. Is that the word? Mm-hmm. It's like this, this job is a great stepping stone as a writer. You know, you get your name in print and bylines and uh, you start, you know, learning the editorial process and uh, honing your editorial skills and all of this. And I'm like, hmm, <laughs> you said your friend felt like she missed the off ramp. I never got to the next stone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously that's not true. I'm a published author. So clearly I, I got further along the <laughs> along the line. But in terms of of uh, actual employment where I'm working for someone else, I still work for that magazine in the same position, albeit I did work full time for, for several years. But it's just, it's funny. That is an interesting distinction though, because I mean, part of the reason why I think sometimes if you get a really good job here in the States, one that's in the field you like, that's very interesting. Oftentimes, you strive to have the job sort of adapt and change so that you continue learning stuff all along the way. So it doesn't feel like necessarily like you've had the same career. It's more like you've had the same, you've had the same area that your career has been in, but you've done a whole bunch of different jobs by the time you retire. And I wonder if in Italy, if, if a person has an office job and they want to just keep it for the lifetime contract, would that also include not wanting it to really alter? Wanting to do the same thing every day? I mean, everyone has their own personality and their own way of, you know, wanting to work. I'm sure there are people who crave, you know, that novelty and and people who just want to stumble their way, sleepwalk their way through their job with the least amount of effort. It's, there are people like that everywhere in either case. So Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know that that's, that would be so much different than the states but just the because it's harder to get get a stable job here people tend to keep them more for that reason yeah all right let's get hypothetical about what you would have ended up doing i mean i would just even like your prediction so you moved to rome like 19 years ago now something like that yeah uh 19 years ago and you've already said on past episodes that even if you had stayed behind you don't think you would have moved back to seattle where you grew up as a kid so, I mean, even hypothesizing yeah. where you would have ended up, do you have any guesses? Like, if you'd never moved to Rome, where would you even think that you would live right now? I don't even, I have no idea, Katie. And be, and I have no idea because I remember the year that I moved, I had almost no friends left in Boston because I went to music school, right? And if you're in music school in Boston and you graduate, chances are you're going to just hop down to New York where there are much more opportunities. Yeah. Uh, And so the vast majority of my friends had moved to New York or had moved to Europe or a couple to California. But, you know, there was, I had almost no friends left in Boston also because I went to grad school after college. And so there was even more time in between. And, you know, I had a boyfriend who eventually we broke up very shortly before I, I moved away. But I mean, having a boyfriend, it's like, it's not enough. You need, especially as a young person, uh, you need friends. You need like a good social circle. And I really had, I had almost no friends in the city. So I think that it would have been weird for me to stay there, especially if I had broken up with my boyfriend, Mm -hmm. which I did anyway, you know, separate and apart from moving to Rome. Like, what would I have done there? I didn't even have a voice teacher that I really loved there. That's the other thing. Like I was already, even though I kind of had hopes when I moved to Rome, oh, you know, I had the name of a few voice teachers and, you know, I I kind of made the decision already, even if I hadn't made it 100%, that I wasn't really looking to pursue a career in music. I never, 
really made a concerted effort after I arrived in Rome. So like, what would I have done in Boston? What was I doing there? And I remember I was kind of thinking like, do I move to Rome and try to see if I can live in Rome and make that dream come true? Or, or do I move to New York? And, you know, maybe, you know, I kind of already felt like opera wasn't going to happen. Like maybe I could try my hand at musical theater. You know, I was a decent dancer, decent actress, thought maybe I could break into that world. And I remember having that like, okay, New York or, or Rome, but New York never felt right to me. It never felt like a place that I wanted to live. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't really much of a decision there. But I mean, that's the only thing I can think of was that I would have gone to New York because it's kind of where you go if you're a performing artist, right? Yeah. I mean, I was New trying York. to think too, because sometimes it is that you have a friend, whoever is the good enough friend where they are might be where you go mm -hmm. if you don't really know where to go. And probably around that period of time, you, there would have been a pretty healthy concentration of people you knew in New York that were good friends. Yes, there were. There mm -hmm. were. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, New York is an extremely expensive city to live in if you don't have a real job. It's not impossible to live in if you mm -hmm. don't have a real job. So it would have been, you know, it would have been a challenge. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I moved to Rome because I was like, I have nowhere else to go. <laughs> so I'm just going to go to Rome. <laughs> yeah. So maybe the Rome was the only option and the sliding doors. Really, really, it was a... It was the choice. It, it was inevitable. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I could I could play out. I want to pl actually play this out. If I had really, not to toot my own horn, but I do think that I have enough talent that I could have had at least a, a good chance to have a career in musical theater. I really don't think that opera was in the cards for me. I love opera. I adore it. But I just don't think that I had the power uh, in terms of, you know, the my, my body, my instrument. I don't I don't think that I had the power, the volume, the strength that is really required to be able to sing opera. But I have a good voice. I have a pretty voice. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was trained to dance since I was two years old. And, you know, we took acting lessons together. So I, I kind of felt like I was a triple threat. And, you know, musical theater is what I really was really my first love. Theater in general was my first love. Um, and then when I encountered my first voice teacher at 14 and she inspired me with the love of opera, I kind of never looked back. But sometimes I think that's an even bigger sliding door. Like, what if I had just focused all my attention on musical theater? Yeah. What could if that woman made... was really into musical theater instead of yeah, opera? Yeah. Could I? Like, I look at my, my niece, who's 14. And she is devoted. She is extremely talented. She works incredibly hard. Dance lessons, music lessons, acting lessons. She's in 20 shows a year with her school, with her community theater. And she's just, she has blinders on. Everyone used to say that I had blinders on. But maybe I had blinders on for the wrong thing. Like maybe I should not have let myself be swept up in the romance and beauty of opera and been a little more rational and been like, you know, I'm much more suited to musical theater. I don't have the body of an opera singer. I don't have the mm -hmm. I don't have the bone structure of an opera singer. Yeah. I don't even have the the vibe, you know, the, the prima donna <laughs> vibe. Like I'm much more of a musical theater type person. Sometimes I think that was where I maybe went wrong. Like if 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 I had wanted a, a career in the performing arts, if I had focused on that, 
maybe it could have happened. So I guess that's my my sliding door, my other mm -hmm. self. But then it could have been also, you know, a, a failure and, and miserable, and I could have been very unhappy at it. So Yeah, yeah. It, auditioning for a living. Choose your own adventure. <laughs> not yeah. easy. Not easy. No. No, not at all. Yeah. And even so, um, to a degree, I mean, you can do musical theater throughout your life, but it is also one of those careers that's sort of front-loaded, you know, like you yeah. can do a lot of musical theater when you're in your 20s and 30s, and then it starts to fade away, and, you know, they go for the younger people. Unless uh, you're Angela Lansbury. <laughs> right. I mean, it does happen with some people, but it also could have equally been like you had a certain amount of success, and now you'd be looking for, like, what else to do, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so... I mean, and just think of the odds of that, too. So there's something about being in New York City. Maybe Seattle seems like a more manageable city. But whenever I'm in New York, I'm just like, how will I ever accomplish anything? Look how many people there are, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Look at how many people are here striving after the same things that I might be striving for. And, and there can be these moments where you think, uh, as an artist type, that you're like, I have a unique voice. I have a unique perspective i have a unique talent and then you go to somewhere like new york and you're like do i though because <laughs> look at all these people and they're all yeah. trying to do this thing i often felt that i i when when our friends were moving to new york and la i often felt like i can't do that because there's something about me and the kind of artist that i want to be that i need it to be somewhat more insular I mean, Seattle is a big pond, you know, but you don't have to be quite as big a fish here to get toward the top than you would mm -hmm. if you were in, say, New York City or L.A. And I think I always felt that those places were intimidating enough that at least as a young person, I've certainly considered moving to New York for professional reasons in later years. But as a young person, I always felt like, how could I even compete in a place like New York City? absolutely you know or, or like yeah. for those of you who listen who live in LA I like visiting LA but the one thing that I don't like about LA is that every time you walk into a restaurant everybody turns to look and see if it's anybody important like anybody who's a celebrity <laughs> and then they see it's you and they go back to like typing on their computers and I don't oh, know God. that I could live in that, you know, where you just like every time uh, I walk into a place, people have that look of disappointment. Oh, oh you're not. I never know that about L.A. <laughs> you're not an actress that sense. I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're just a yeah. person. Um, yeah. For me, New York, I always felt like not even that I couldn't make it as a performer there. I'm like, how can I survive here? Not even just how can I feed myself? Like, how can I? be on this playground it is tough it is a tough playground and I do not want to get beat up like I <laughs> emotionally physically whatever like I just like it feels too big time for mm -hmm. me sometimes I mean I live in a huge city not as big as New York but I do live in a very big city and I'm not afraid of the big city it's just there's something about that city that has always daunted me yeah but maybe that's because we don't have our place in that city Maybe, Maybe that's what it is. If I had gotten some of the jobs I went up for with some of the national NPR shows, 
maybe that would have been an anchor enough that you felt like, well, you know, I'm a part of the team of this American life. I totally belong in New York. You know, I, I mean, mm-hmm. who knows how something like that would change your perspective. I think my hesitation with New York was always that there wasn't enough of a natural environment there for me also, like that I wanted it to be a blend of humanity and nature. And mm-hmm. what I often noticed in talking to people, you know, when it comes to the nature of New York City, for instance, the nat- what is the nature of New York City? It's like pigeons. I mean, there's lots of things. This is, but this, so this is minimizing. Central Park. This is rivers. minimizing, but you know, there's mostly like what people's day-to-day experience with nature in New York City seems to be pigeons and rats, right? And what do they hate mm-hmm. most? Pigeons and rats. I don't like to live where my only feeling toward the natural world is animosity, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the only time I've never not appreciated a pigeon, uh, the only time I had a moment where I didn't appreciate a pigeon, I suppose I should say, is when I was living in New York for a month, working for the show Radio Lab, and I had these pigeons that were roosting on the outside window of the apartment I was renting, and they made the strangest sounds in the middle of the night. And it's, it took me forever to figure out, what is that? I couldn't tell what it, what even was making the noise. And then I figured out it was pigeons. And it was a very irritating sound. And I could, and so I had that moment where I'm like, why won't they just go do this somewhere else? You know, I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> so in that moment, I sort of got it. But, um, but yeah, I think I want to, um, I don't know. I think I also am a person who wants to look out my back window and see a couple raccoons tipping over my bird feeder you know I I just feel like you know I want I want to have a mountain um, maybe a mountain or two some evergreens yeah I know we're both Seattle girls I I yearn for it too yeah and I mean even Rome doesn't have that much well Rome is the greenest city in Europe per capita Hmm. interesting fun fact greenest city in Europe interesting Stockholm (laughs) um (laughs) So, you know, there's tons of tons of green in Rome, but, you know, you have to, you have to go find it. But uh, no, but there's lots of trees in Rome. Like there's trees everywhere. Like even in the busy streets, there's trees everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, If you think about it. And, you know, it doesn't take that long to get either to the mountains, not the big mountains, but, you know, the, the smaller mountains that are are nearby or um, the sea. Right. So. Yeah. You can get some vistas going. That's true. Mm hmm. It's a it's an interesting thing to contemplate, but it's so hard to to because I mean I mean well I think it's impossible one... you can't no that's that's why sometimes it feels futile because it's like I can't know so why am I wasting my time thinking about it I'm, it's just going to make me feel like I made the wrong decision yeah and I I mean I think it also it's hard to to predict who you would have become also because I do think that we have elements of our personalities that are sort of us but I do think that people evolve over time if they want to I think that you know you always can be learning and growing and becoming better and but you never know like well how would you have evolved and become obviously at the root I would always be Katie you know and Katie like the root of like how Katie was raised and like what are the root parts of my personality but I could have been changed into a different person Uh, Of course, you're always influenced by your surroundings. And that was what was so interesting about this story that I read, because his alternate self was, in his words, a horror, was something horrible, was something, you know, almost evil. When I was 16, I was doing a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan at a local theater 
And at that time, I really wanted to move to New York. You know, I had been by been bit by the opera bug already, but I was still very into musical theater. And, you know, it had to be New York. It was, was long before, you know, a few years before I moved to Boston. And I just remember one of the men in the show who was significantly older than me, he used to say, don't move to New York. You'll lose your sweetness. Mm. I don't think is necessarily true, but I think <laughs> that there is there is some ring of truth to that. You can be hardened by certain places, I think, and I, the experiences that go along with those places. I think that's true. But one thing I think I could say with all certainty is that either way, regardless of what you and I had done with our lives, if it was wildly different from where we are now, I don't think either one of us would have turned out evil. No, evil, no. <laughs> I can't do that. So I feel good about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I suppose we should leave it there. On us not being evil. Before we go, though, here's a sliding door that you could take. We're taking our listeners, if you choose to accept this offer, we are taking a small, small group of our listeners to Rome next October, October 2024, specifically the 6th to the 12th. It's a limited group. We're only taking 10 rooms full of people, 10 rooms with only two people maximum. So at the max 20, probably less people than that, to Rome next year. And uh, and for the month of December, we are giving you $500 off if you are interested in signing up. We can send you all the information if you send us an email, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't been listening to our recent episodes and you haven't heard anything about this, you should know that this trip includes walking tours of little known sites in Rome and amazing hidden secrets in the city with Katie and myself every single day. Yes. Five days of secret walking tours. Maybe uh, before we go, I should insert a little impromptu testimonial from one of our people who attended our very first maiden voyage this past October. You don't have to hear from us. You can hear from somebody else. So here you go. So what was the most memorable part of this trip for you? Well, the entire trip was memorable. So, But, but the most memorable part to me was the the cohesion and the, the, the fact that the way, the way that you two brought this group of people together all over the place and then like everybody by the end of the trip everybody loved everybody everybody learned so much and more importantly everybody learned what they wanted to learn more about so if you have an opportunity to come on this trip in the future do it because it's like you'll look you'll get a great overview you'll get a great experience in Rome and then you'll you'll figure out all the things you want to see more of and you can come back later and do that but, the, the, but literally I, I think that is the greatest thing about this thing is just the people and the way that Katie and Tiffany have crafted the trip and, and their expertise and their, their their genuine friendliness and, and the knowledge that Tiffany has for as a guide is just it's it's amazing so you definitely should be coming uh, to the trip if you can if you can and again use it as a launch point for your your future trips so if you're interested in finding out everything that's included and how much it costs, you can send us an email, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. You can also send us uh, a note through any of our social medias. So reach out through Instagram or Facebook, search for the Bittersweet Life Podcast, and we will send you information through that as well. But um, don't forget, $500 off. This could be the ultimate Christmas present, the ultimate mm -hmm. Hanukkah present for yourself this year. <laughs> 
Uh, and you can come alone. You don't have to bring anybody. Uh, you will have friends as soon as you arrive. I promise you that. So send us an email, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. And we will leave it there. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Katie here. Tis the season of giving. And as you think about what gifts you want to give at the end of the year, we hope you will consider a gift to The Bittersweet Life. We are not an official nonprofit, so we can't help you with your taxes. But your sustaining donation can assure that this show continues. With the turn of the calendar comes the arrival of yearly bills. Boring things like web hosting fees and a Zoom subscription so that we can interview remote guests. Boring things, but things that we have to pay for. Hopefully with your help. So visit our website, thebittersweetlife.net, and click the donate button that calls your name, whether it be PayPal or Patreon. And if you don't want to pay boring bills with your donation, maybe you want to buy us a tasty cup of tea as a way to say thanks for all the ideas you've contemplated this year because of The Bittersweet Life. Just send us a note and we'll happily spend your tip on something fun. Tis the season for appreciation and celebration. And we're beyond thrilled if you decide to include us in your giving. <laughs>